and welcome to TNT, the Technology and Things podcast. On today's episode, we welcome Jason M. Huff, the New York Times bestselling author of The Dire Earth Cycle and the near-future spy thriller Zero World. His latest novel, Instinct, was just launched in April of 2021. Jason Huff on today's episode of TNT. Okay, how about that? Yeah, that sounds good. All right, that's better. All right. Jeez. <laughs> it's funny because I see you talking in the video, but the, the portrait of you lights up for the voice. Yeah. Ignore that portrait. <laughs> I will. We have a lot of technology. Uh, <laughs> it's appropriate. We keep adding technology until uh, things stop working correctly, and then, then we know we've done our jobs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This, this podcast has more technology, Jason, than uh, mm. most small companies. Yeah, <laughs> true. It also has a mobile studio. I was going to say, you guys could, you could probably go through a drive-thru while we're, while we're talking. We c- well, we could, except it's, uh, it's 13 feet high, so um, <laughs> it won't fit in any drive-thru. We need a driver. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, you do. That would be fun to do like a driving podcast. After everything we've just done to get this thing set up, I'm just trying to imagine that. Like bouncing around with our cocktails in hand, you know. Can you imagine? We would have to definitely set it all up before the driver took off. So, Mr. Huff, thank you for coming yeah. on our Technology and Things podcast. We appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. You know, I was thinking about, in, in my uh, rigorous planning for today, mm. I was thinking about you and I and... Uh, we, I think we've known each other since we were uh, 12 or 13 or something like that, right? It would be uh, 85. I think. Yeah. That was the exact date that I wrote down on my... Jeffrey? Jeffrey will confirm. 1985, I wrote down. Uh, it says 1987 on here. That's not true. Yeah, totally. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> he forgot the first two years. They were uneventful. No, we went to uh, Washington, D.C. together. Was that a school yeah. trip? It, yeah, it was. No, it was just me and Jason on a, <laughs> on a romantic trip when we were 12. <laughs> <laughs> to see the Washington Monument. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. The pictures, I, 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 so I actually... I fond memories of the trip. I went through some pictures today, and uh, I can't... Did you really? I did, and I, I found one of you, uh, which I will try to share somehow. Okay. Uh, but, yeah, there's it's we were inside of, like, one of those... Um, we were at... I don't know if it was, like... It was some colonial town oh right and uh it was one of those little things where you put your head and and arms through and they kind of like okay. they lock they lock it in there mm-hmm. yeah, and shackles. so like jason has a picture i have a picture of me doing it oh, okay right yeah this sh- yeah like the sh- oh, that's great the wooden shackle kind of thing <clears throat> so i thought that was kind of cool that that um uh, we, we go back at least 10 years, <laughs> <laughs> ten years. that's right so I thought that was that was kind of that was pretty cool, Jason. You you've had sort of a you've had an interesting uh, career. You've been an author for uh, I don't know ten plus years, it seems like. But you've done a yeah, lot of other things before. professionally since two thousand thirteen. But okay. been, I started in two thousand eight in terms of actually trying to you know make it a thing. Yeah, you. So you did a a nano rema. Nan, what 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 is that? Nano, uh, that yeah, National Novel Writing Month. Ah, what is yeah. that? So that is a thing that um, I don't actually know the name of the group that puts it on, but it started 
uh, I want to say early 2000s. Um, so basically the idea is that a lot of people want to write a book, but they feel like it's too big of a task. It takes too much time. They might start it and get a little work done on it or whatever, but they just kind of never finish and it sort of languishes or whatever. And so uh, one of the pieces of advice that professional authors often give is that you have to just sit down and get it done beginning to end, no matter how crappy it is. You just have to go through that experience once, right? It's kind of like someone saying they want to play football, but all they ever do is just practice like throwing it now or running with it or anything like that. They just, you know what I mean? Like you have yeah. to actually go through a game, even if it's just with friends before you can say, okay, I've played football now and I like it and here's what I want to do and how I can get better and all that. Yep. And so um, it's basically you take the month of November and you, you sign up on their website and you just agree. It's kind of all on the honor system, but you basically, you know, every day or however often you want to during that month, you go in and update how many words you've written. And the goal is to write 50,000 words in the month of November. Oh, wow. Or whatever you sign up. And 50,000 words is, is short for a novel these days. It's, it used to be the kind of the common size, but it sort of barely qualifies anymore. So like Catcher in the Rye, for example, is about 50,000 words. But a typical, like my latest book, I think was 85,000. The first one I wrote was 130, I think. Um, wow. But but they figure it doesn't have to be a complete yeah. novel. It doesn't have to be a complete, yeah, it is a lot of words. It's just, it's just, It took me about three hours a day every day for that month the first time I did it. But that was the first time when I realized it, it totally works. It like it, it sort of makes it a habit, you know, writing every day. Mm -hmm. And it, it makes you realize um, that sort of forcing yourself through the really tough parts and the bits where you're like, oh, this isn't working and I don't like this character anymore. I should just start over. Nope. You just got to keep going to the end. And once you get to the end, you might realize all oh, those things actually worked and I needed them and this is why and here's how I can make them better it's that constant second guessing and stopping and restarting that messes people up and gets them into that sort of mood where they just never really finish anything. Mm -hmm. So um, is that like part so, of your process now? The, what you learned from the novel writing month? Um, aspects of it are for sure. I mean, I think the main thing I got from it was just learning the benefit of writing every day, even if it's just a little bit. Um, when you go, it's, it's really easy to go, you know, a week or two or three and you're, you know, telling yourself that you're doing research or something. Um, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but even when you're in that mode, if you can, if you can still get, even if it's just 50 words or a hundred words or something, it just keeps that, you know, sort of, it's like practice in a way. Yes. Yeah. You do hear it. Reinforced. And, you do hear that from like, uh, I, I've heard Jerry Seinfeld talk about that. Like every day yeah. he writes every single day. He like, makes yeah. that chain thing, right? Where he yeah, puts an X on every day that he writes and, he yeah, and he to, has don't like, break the chain. Right? He writes on paper oh, or whatever, cool. but yeah. But he has a thing, but but he writes every single day, like even mm. on vacation or all kinds of stuff. He sort of write, you know, spends an hour or whatever it is, a couple hours or something. Yeah, I don't I haven't heard about Seinfeld doing that. I know like Stephen King uh, just talks about this quite a bit. <clears throat> um and I remember reading um he has a book called On Writing, which is uh, fantastic. Um but one of the things he talked about in there was and I'm going to forget which book it was, but there was one of his novels he wrote while he was on vacation. He couldn't sleep very well, so he would take a pad of like yellow paper down to the hotel lobby at night while his wife was asleep and just write on paper, which it used to be something he would never do, but he mm -hmm. was like, so he couldn't sleep. He had the story in his head. He wanted to get it out. So he, you know, he just basically stayed up all night on his vacation writing on this yellow pad. And it ended up being one of his more successful novels, if I remember right. <laughs> um, 
But you know, that was that's the yeah. type of thing where you could easily just tell yourself, "Ah, oh, well, when I get home, yeah, I'll work on that." And by then, you know, the fire might be down, and you can't remember what your good idea was, or anything like that. So. I've heard the same thing about uh, people that write songs and stuff too. That when you get the mm-hmm. urge to write the song, you go do it right then. Like you don't yeah. you don't just say like, "Oh, I'll remember it tomorrow." Like you have to sort of go put it down. It yeah, might be gone. it's tough. Um, <laughs> it's funny because I think that the the writing part of that is definitely a thing, but the other aspect, the thing that's difficult is is ideas, at least for fiction writers like myself, and I'm I would imagine for songwriters and people like that too. And it's this it's this problem of, you know, one of the questions we get asked a lot is where do you get your ideas, mm-hmm. as if it's like a problem to get them. Like people are having trouble getting ideas and they want to know where can I, how can I do that. And I, I have a friend, uh, Django Wexler, who talks about this, where, you know, he says when people ask him, you know, how, you know, how do you get ideas? Like, and he's like, the problem isn't getting ideas. The problem is I have too many ideas. I c- can't keep track of them all. <laughs> and I can't stay focused on the thing I'm supposed to be working on because I keep getting new ideas for other things. And they're so good that I just want to work on those. But if I only do that, then the thing I'm supposed to be working on, that I have a contract for the deadline, ends up getting too far behind or, you know, whatever. And so, yeah, it's tough to manage all that. And I think it's one of those things where having a, a bit of a techie background has helped me quite a bit because I have like spreadsheets and, you know, mind maps that I do with mm-hmm. a bunch of ideas and how they connect to each other and things like that. That I think that, you know, people who just write it on a napkin or something maybe still struggle with keeping track of those things. Yeah. But it's totally true. It's uh, it's it's one of those things where you, you want to always be um, capturing those things because you never know when they're going to come in handy. The, the spreadsheet that I keep has like categories for ideas. So one of them might be like dialogue where I just might get a, I either might get an idea for a line of dialogue that I don't know where it would go yet or who, who would use it. Or I might hear like, we might be on a trip somewhere, Paul, and you might say something funny and I'll go, Oh man, that would be great in a book. I don't know when I'll use that, but that was a really cool line or turn of phrase or whatever. So I'll go and just, you know, on my phone, I'll just throw that in there. And, um, That's cool. Probably once every six months or so, I read through the whole thing and, or if I'm stuck on something. Like right, that, right. Might, might help. That's awesome. I have a question, Jason. Please, go ahead. Is the floor open? <laughs> the floor is open. <laughs> All right. So I've, I've read a, a lot of your books and I uh, love them. And there's a lot of like, you incorporate a lot of twists and turns. Um, mm. it, you know, like plot twists and, and things you wouldn't expect and characters that come and go and, you know, things like that. And um, I'm curious, when you're writing a book... <laughs> Do you, do you kind of envision all those plot twists up front? Like, do you have an idea how that's all going to work? And you, and you like kind of, or do you outline it all first and then start writing, you know, all of the sort of descriptive, you know, stuff that goes along with it? Or does it happen like as you're writing it, you're like, oh, you know, it'd be great in the next chapter is if this person falls off the crane, you know, like that would be unexpected. Dude, you, you, just know, gave like, it, you just gave it a book away. <laughs> well, uh, no, the, the Jesus. surprise. The, the crane reveal. <laughs> no. It sounds like a cop-out answer maybe, but it's sort of a mixture of everything you said. I do outline, and um, one of the things that I sort of learned way back when I was doing National Novel Writing Month and stuff like that, there's a book that starting out writers often get recommended called Save the Cat by uh, Blake Snyder. And in many ways, it's a terrible book. <laughs> uh, for one thing, the guy is like a uh, complete jerk. <laughs> He's super arrogant. And like, anyway, it's, I won't go there. He's passed on now. So I feel like I can say bad things. Normally we don't talk bad about it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but how do I explain this? 
Save the Cat is a book about how to write screenplays, specifically the very formulaic Hollywood movies that most people don't really enjoy, but still make money and people go see. Mm. Um, and uh, and so he, but he very sort of coldly and scientifically like lays out if you have a screenplay that's 110 pages long or whatever on page 10, this needs to happen. Like this is where your main character needs to have something happen to them. That's a problem that they have to solve by the end of the movie. Right. Oh, interesting. That has to be on page 10 because in a movie, one page is a minute of screen time. And so 10 minutes into a film, if this hasn't happened, you've got problems. You've got people <laughs> are going to say the movie was slow or, or, you know, whatever. Right. And and he lays that out for the whole thing. And it's like specific events that need to happen and also sort of like sort of sections that you need to have and how long they should be. And he kind of goes through the whole thing. And it's sort of like it's something that where a lot of people have never thought about a story in that way before. It's sort of seen it so clearly laid out. And the really cool thing, I think, is that he goes through a lot of films and like maps them onto that and shows you, you know, you may think this sounds like, oh, it's just for formulaic Hollywood garbage. But look at all these great films and look at how they fit this, like almost to the letter. Like you can pause your favorite movie on like I was watching Aliens one time after I read this book and I paused it. I'm thinking it's the moment where they uh, see the steam come out and know that the reactor is going to blow up in a certain amount of time. Right. It's like this major turning point in the movie, what you would call the midpoint. And if you pause it when that happens, it's like literally right in the middle of the bar on the DVD player. And, you know, he talks about the midpoint and he talks about how it's important and it either needs to be a false victory or false defeat or whatever. But so there's all those sorts of things. But it's what it ends up providing you is like, here's how to write something that's sort of stock formula. And if you can understand this and, and really grasp why these things are important to be here and when they need to happen, then you can kind of go and, and grow and tweak it to your advantage or, you know, for what you're writing or style that you're going for or whatever. But if you don't understand this, then you're going to have you're going to run into problems. You're going to have, you know, your main character isn't sort of getting into a situation that they need to get out of until halfway through the book. And it needs to happen like 10 percent of the way into the book or something like that. And so that sort of helped me kind of like figure out the basics and sort of like what needs to be there to have a satisfying story. And then that's sort of like, um, you know, when you're starting out playing music, it's like learning the classic like pop song rhythm chorus and where that needs to happen and then you got to repeat it here or whatever it's kind of the same thing it's like yeah okay now i can write like really junky formulaic pop songs if i want to expand (laughs) and get into something more interesting but if you don't have that basis it's kind of harder maybe yeah right Um, so i really liked it for that perspective and so what i'm i guess long-winded way of saying that sometimes i don't really do this as much anymore although i will if i'm like really struggling with getting a plot sorted out is i will i will use his little he calls it the beat sheet and it's like the various story beats and where they need to be. And I'll try to map whatever idea I have under that as sort of like a very first outline, you know, just try to get this story sorted out. And it's, it's helpful because it tells you, you know, it doesn't really say like you need a plot twist here, but like there's a certain event that needs to happen here. And a lot of times that can be satisfied with a really cool twist or something. So, so I, I use that. I, I then do an actual outline where I really flesh it out and try to get it down to the chapter by chapter and, I'll think of some more cool twists to have there. Uh, not as many of them come when I'm actually writing. It's pretty rare for me to, like, at the end of a chapter, go, ooh, but maybe what if it's actually, you know, his dad or something like that. <laughs> and the reason is simply that I try to think those things, I try to think of those things and through the ramifications when I'm outlining. 
rather than when I'm writing because it's the process of untangling something like that and figuring out how it's going to affect the rest of the story or maybe what I've already written is um, is too big of a time sink uh, actual writing process. Much easier to deal with that Sorry. in outline form. Yeah, no problem. Those are some loud Sorry. lights we just turned on yeah. there. Holy cow. I didn't mean to turn that on. Paul, Paul turned <laughs> on the, the party lights. It's now it's, it's, it's really noisy in here. We we obviously didn't map this out on the uh, the beach the beach sheet uh, <laughs> at the point in time when we're going to turn on the air conditioner. <laughs> do you so uh, sort of like a side question on that is is do you sort of know where the main character is going to end up by the end of the book? Like you kind of have an idea they're going to start here and they're going to end here. And yeah, usually usually I do. Yeah. You know that right yeah. at the beginning, huh? Oh gosh! Yeah, and sometimes, like the one I'm working on right now, I I've known the ending for quite a while, mm. and figuring out a plot that gets me there has been really, really tough. So, is the ending is that is that kind of like the aha when you're like telling the story? You're like, man, I'd really like to tell a story that like ends like this. I think that would be yeah. cool. Is that yeah, 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 interesting? Exactly. I never thought of it yeah, that it, way because I'm reading it right. So to me, I read it linearly. So I start at the start. I <laughs> and I usually, I mean, I write linearly, even if I've, I've done all the plotting and everything, but I still write it beginning to end. Mm-hmm. Um, I know some authors who skip around, but I, I just can't do it. Yeah, so I do like, uh, for one book, I'll do, you know, and that really, what I would call my terse outline, which I usually do like between three and five words per chapter. So the example I always give people because they, they can't wrap their mind around that is um, if I was outlining Star Wars, my, my last chapter would be Luke Destroys Death Star. So that's that's all I need to know to write that chapter. It's usually, if I can, it's what happens at the end of the chapter. Right. And it's somebody doing something. If if I can meet those things, then and I outline that, then that's that's all I need to kind of work an outline and figure out how things are going to go. And I'll do dozens of versions of uh, an outline. You know, just trying different stuff. Even if it's something that doesn't really feel right, I'll still sort of tweak things and see where it goes, and then I might toss that one. And eventually, <laughs> I'll start you know, making versions where I'm barely changing anything from the last one. And it's usually when I know I'm ready to start doing a full on, like either just start writing or do like an actual, you know, long winded synopsis kind of thing. This is like learning how a magic trick is performed. It's cool. It's really <laughs> it, cool. it is cool, but I'm not sure. I'm almost. Are I'm, you scared, Jeffrey? Is yeah, it... I'm feeling like I'm going to lose the magic. Oh, I, no. Like... Is funny. I, I tell you something funny because you just sparked a, <laughs> I have a, a neighbor of mine, um, really nice lady. She um, has been asking me for writing tips, and I, I told her about the whole you know save the cat thing and all that. And I said I have to give you a little warning, and I suppose I should have put this caveat for you guys too in your audience, is that it's a really interesting book to read to learn like that sort of structure and you know when those story beats happen and all that. But it completely ruins movies. Like, <laughs> almost every movie you see now, you'll be going, oh, okay, here comes the midpoint. Because we you know, started, started at 7.30. It's 9 o'clock now. It's exactly halfway through. Time to so. wrap it up. <laughs> hey, honey, yeah. honey, this midpoint sucked. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so uh, it's funny because a lot of times I watch movies with Nancy and my wife, Nancy. And uh, like there will be, be one of those moments, like a big surprise or a reveal or a twist or whatever. And she'll kind of go, whoa, and then she'll look at me, and I'm just kind of sitting there. She's like, did you see that coming? I'm like, oh, yeah, because we're 48 minutes in, and that's where it's supposed to happen. <laughs> that's where the Red Wedding belongs. That's 48 yeah. minutes in. <laughs> it's worth mentioning maybe, too, that that type of um, strict, that formula only kind of makes sense for Hollywood because you know, there's so many people involved in approving, like, you wrote a screenplay, 
But to actually get that all the way to the point where it's on screen and in theaters, you know, there's there's hundreds of people that have to sign off and put up money and all that. A novelist, you can kind of you don't have so many people saying, well, you know, where's the right, where's right. the inciting incident on page 10? I didn't see it. You know, because <laughs> Hollywood executives, part of the, he actually talks about this in Save the Cat, that like Hollywood executives, that's like, they can't really measure like something as from an artistic perspective. Right. And it's in screenplay form. Sometimes they can, but if they're not having trouble doing that, then they just start looking for Did, like little things they can pick on. And Harrison Ford yeah. was w- reading off some, uh, notes from the executives for Blade Runner the other night on uh, oh, I, I didn't see it live but I, I heard it uh, afterwards and I mean it, it, his delivery is just it's he's so awkward like when he's doing his when he's just like Harrison Ford it's like weird right, right, it's right. so weird because you're just like dude like you can't you could just he's got this really gruff voice and then and he sounds so much like he doesn't want to be there. But anyways, he was he actually pulled out these notes that he apparently had gotten or they had gotten yeah. on on like some screening of Blade Runner and it was kind of like the same stuff you're talking about where they were complaining about these different things, you know, cuz Blade Runner obviously probably did <laughs> I don't know if it really hit the mark on all those <laughs> all those areas uh yeah. but uh it was kind of interesting. But I, I could see what you're saying, though, how they're they're looking for this. This has not happened, you know, and you guys are like playing this weird music you know, for 10 minutes. To put it in the technology background context, it's like the difference between, you know, some, you know, just genius software developer coming up with an idea for a, a program or a website or whatever and just doing it without anyone telling them what he's doing wrong or, you know, this or whatever and coming up with something brilliant versus the all right, let's get the team and have the agile stuff in a, you know, the product manager and the program manager and all this stuff. And, and you rarely, I think, come up with those sort of genius things from that kind of yeah. managed process, but yeah. you come up with much more um, consistent, you know, yeah. even if it's not like the brilliant breakout thing, not always anyway. Um, yeah. You know, they're, they just want to make sure their money is being spent in the right place. You're describing Pied Piper versus Hooli. <laughs> 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 it's the Gavin Belson signature box. Joe, yeah. <laughs> last night, Joe Biden actually said middle out. What? Yeah. Middle out. You know, in... <laughs> oh, my God. In I'm not going to describe the whole thing because it's, it's sort of like... Middle R, out compression. R-rated, yeah. but... <laughs> oh, okay. The, in, in that... Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley... Yeah. <laughs> They talk about the middle out compression or whatever. That's right. It's middle and out they, compression. And they, they diagram it all. <laughs> oh, that's funny. But Joe Biden was talking about how trickle-down economics hasn't worked, and he yeah, actually yeah. said, it's middle what? out. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, it, <laughs> I, I immediately thought of Silicon Valley. That's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> YouTube occasionally surfaces a video for me even though i've seen it like a dozen times i always click on it when it comes up <laughs> and it's this um it's this comparison of sorting algorithms where there's like 10 of them at a time on screen and then it shows you like how different algorithms sort things you know like a linear sort where it's just the most basic way bubble sort really bubble sorts <laughs> and i think i feel like middle out was one of them where it, it kind of does things <laughs> from the and, but it's fascinating to watch because you you always hear about these things, but you never sort of see visually like how they actually do it differently and yeah. what's the reasons and so on. 
Anyway, I'm going to look into that. Oh, so we're, we got to do some book promotion. Yeah, let's do that. um, (laughs) I've always wanted to do book promotion. So that's why we're having you on. So uh, let's see if I can. Do you have a book to promote? Oh, look. He does have a book to promote. Oh, hey. It's called Instinct, and it's by Jason Huff. It's a real my book. Least, my lowest tech book so far, but it's. Uh, oh, let me see. There's pages. See, look at it's real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's real stuff, and there's actual words in there, and so we're gonna actually give away a book bought by yours truly. That's me. I bought a book, and I'm gonna give it away. I'm glad you explained that to our audience because you know. What, who yours truly is? Yeah, because they swing younger. And, and you're uh, going to get, it's going to be signed. Now, this one, this one, how do I do this here? This is hard to there do. You go. Okay. There you go. So, this one is signed. Uh, well, this was written to me. I'm not going to give you this book, but I have another one that's signed. Uh, uh, so, we're going to, we're going to give that book out. This one says, Paul, all the best freaks are here. They're sort of an inside thing. It's actually in the book. Oh, is it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, how cool! I haven't finished I, uh, it. I just so, so yeah, Jeff. You might not even be getting this, but uh, Paul and I have bonded for many years over a music group called Marillion, and um, a certain obscure uh-huh. progressive rock. He's familiar with that. I'm familiar with it. <laughs> okay, the obsession. Good, good. Yeah. <laughs> the obsession. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, every book I've done so far, I've I've sort of snuck in a Marillion reference. You know, sometimes very overt and sometimes super subtle, but um, yeah, in this one, she's in the bar. And there's Pink Floyd playing, I think, when she walks in. But by the time she, there's all this weird stuff happens while she's in the bar, and then as she's leaving, she reckon, or she hears this bit of lyric coming from the jukebox, which is "All the best freaks are here," which ah. is a brilliant song. But it, but it, it's apropos cool. to the situation because all this weird stuff's going on. And, ah, oh, that's awesome. Anyway, so we're gonna give away, uh, we're gonna give away this one of these books. So all you have to do is contact me in some form. There's a lot of ways to do it. You have to figure it out. I'm not going to tell you right now, but there's you guys know how to find find me. First person that does, I will send you the copy of the book that's signed. Awesome. So, anyways, but this is you know it's, I'm, I'm excited. I I started reading it, and uh, I I tend to read mostly uh, nonfiction books, okay. and so I'm I'm excited to to uh, get into some alternate universe for a little bit. Right on. Yeah, I think it's good for me. I think I've been reading too much. Just it's the the, the nonfiction is gets a little heavy. Yeah, 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 it's heavy. It does. Yeah, it's funny. Like the um, I'm already like in a way the the role is sort of reversed. Uh, where especially writing sci-fi, most of my books are sci-fi. This one, this new one's more of a modern day thriller. Um, but we, you know, there was in the past, like just even just five six years ago. Um, it was all about writing like, you know, hard looks at the future and things like that and really heavy stuff. And then, you know, sort of the joke now is that actual reality is where people are getting that from. And they, what they're looking for from fiction now is more escapism <laughs> yeah. and lighter, uh, you know, things like I that. I could see that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause our, so, our daily, I mean, we're, we're living in a pandemic for crying out right. loud. So Yeah. yeah nonfiction is all about the pandemic and it's like we already live in that you don't need to read about it because you're you already you're getting the you're living it you're getting yeah, the first you know, time i i was I, I went through a whole phase right as i was wrapping up this book was when all this stuff started and i 
you know, I had this whole debate with myself, like, is, is it going to be weird that people in the book aren't wearing masks or <laughs> talking about this? Because it's supposed to be present day, like, whenever people buy it, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it, and I knew, um, but in the end, I just decided, you know, that's probably in the end going to just make it feel dated or it's going to make it be something that people are like, ah, I'm living through that right now. Yeah, you know, there's some TV shows where, that, that have people wearing masks and stuff, and I'm like, oh, I don't want to see the mask. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I think that was yeah, a good totally. call because it's, it's, you know. It, well, you know, like, um, there's um, a lot of Asian countries where they wear masks all the time, and, like, the masks yeah. don't appear in their TV shows, right? I mean, right. Yeah, right. go, good it's point. It's not necessary yeah. there. That's, you know, it's I mean, it's thing. one thing if it's sort of like a scene where, you know, you're in the middle of Times Square, like, you know, we've a seen documentary. We've seen some of that with, like you said, some of the Asian countries. I'm okay with that, but it's like, it's you know, when they're wearing it like on their chin. I'm like, I already see that. Like people driving around with it on their chin. Yeah. I don't want to see it in a show. <laughs> it's yeah. it's bad. Masks, masks. Ah, uh, <laughs> nothing worse than a mask. Uh, I can't wait till we can like throw them all in a bonfire, right? Like yeah. you know, burning yeah, books. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I want to have a giant party, <laughs> and we just throw all of our masks. We we don't need them anymore. You know, we just throw them all in a bonfire. We could throw them in your fire pit. Uh, no, not my fire pit because I've got some nice uh, glass in there, and I don't want that all to melt. It'll be a really messy oh, cleanup. Yeah. Have to be uh, somewhere else, uh, beach maybe. All right, somewhere I'm not responsible for the cleanup. We're just kidding. We're not going to really burn the masks because they're probably bad. Oh, I'm going to burn them. Bad for the environment. No, I'm going to burn them. Yeah. (laughs) The neoprene ones, all of it, all together. Yeah. Bonus carcinogens. I wanted to ask you, how much um, book promotion have you done? Do you have to do Uh, that? What's the, you know, what's the deal with that these days? It's, it's kind of a gray area, I guess. Um, I mean, over the years, I've done a fair amount. Yeah. I've done tons of conventions, um, book signings, um, and uh, you know, I've I've done other podcasts, um, guest blogs, uh, all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, interviews. I, um, you know, and I've traveled quite a bit to uh, to do these things too. Yeah. Um, but it's weird. It's like, well, first of all, like none of that stuff is sort of contractual, I guess. But also, unless you're like, how do I explain this? It's like the more successful you are, the less of it you have to pay for yourself. Um, ah. When you're when you hit the big time, like you don't have to you don't have to pay for any of your travel. The publisher is suddenly willing to send you everywhere. Right. But when you're starting out, they're like, oh yeah, if you want to do a book tour and go sign books at bookstores, feel free. But we're not, you know, we can't afford to <laughs> right to send everyone out to do that. So they they sort of want to see which books are are getting popular first and then put their money into making them even more popular. And it's a very, you know, exponential curve on, you know, author income and all but that. But you don't, you don't get uh, pressure to do stuff. Not a ton. Um, I think that when I first started out, there was a lot more pressure to be like super active in social media mm. and sort of, you know, they, the word they always threw around was building platform. Um, and really what that ends up meaning is that they just want, authors with sort of their they bring their own built-in fan base with them yeah um because it's just you know it's sort of guaranteed sales and and less i don't want to say less work for the publisher to do but you know they they sort of love it when they know there's an audience coming with somebody sure um and it's harder when you don't have that but it's also interesting that like when i i would hear about all that stuff and they would talk about oh you know i think i'm trying to remember back when i got my first contract if it 
I feel like maybe there was stuff in there about you have to make at least one post on, you know, either Facebook, Twitter, or oh, brutal <laughs> per week or anything like that. <laughs> and I thought, oh my god, you can't really. You're gonna have a quota on junk like that. Oh. Um, but it never came up again. Even I think it was in there, but it, it never came up. And, oh, that's good. And uh, and so the funny thing for me was is I thought about all the authors that I read a lot and admired and so on, and like none of none of them had social media presence and you know the ones who who were really big like i didn't really care for their works necessarily or or whatever so it, it and and then they weren't necessarily any more successful so i think it was one of those the, the one thing you hear a lot my agent loves to say this is that the the thing about the publishing industry is that nobody has any idea what sells <laughs> books um they're they're constantly you know just trying and what actually is going to land and right a mega hit that you know no idea well and so they so they say these things that they can have control over like you know oh you have to do at least one social media this or that because at least they can say it and, and have you do something but it's a metric if you you can't you can't correlate it with actual success or, or well the other thing is that you you look at some of the very successful authors they get they get themselves in trouble on social media too i oh, mean totally jesus yeah. it's like well, you might want to get have, off like, of there. Who do their social media for them? Like, yeah, you, you know, it seems like it's that other, but I, I know a few who don't actually, and, who don't actually do it. I'm not going to name names. No, no, and, and some and some are talking about <laughs> things that have nothing to do. You know, they're very political, or they're talking sure, about yeah. t- other things. It's like I don't think any of that's selling any books. They're just being themselves, and and some of them are very successful, and they can, you know, they can sort of do whatever they want at this point. But yeah, uh, yeah it's interesting. The, the the I mean all the, the pro- all the promotion that I've done, and I'm not great on the social media. I've kind of sort of thrown in the towel on it. I just don't really care for it, and I think it comes across as kind of fake. Yeah. If you're sort of forcing yourself to do it. Yep. Um, and I haven't had I've had no pressure. Um, well, that's good. Recently to do that, but I think back to everything I've done in terms of we're talking about what works and all that, and the only thing that actually significantly had any impact for me was nothing that I did. It was, you know, that NPR reviewed my book on like primetime, you know, radio or whatever. And I had no I had didn't even know that was gonna happen. The publisher didn't even know that. The guy just happened to you know, it was on the stack of books that he was sent because they send them everything and he grabbed it for whatever reason and read it over a weekend and gave it a great review. So it's like that's the only thing that actually made an impact right. was something that I, I had no control over at all. That's yeah. That's like a bizarre. You, that must be a bizarre feeling. It really is. Yeah, <laughs> and it's like you never know what's gonna, what's gonna work or how it's gonna go. Um, you know, I've got probably my the favorite thing I've written for is a book called Zero World, but it's probably also my least successful from a sales standpoint. And yet, weirdly, it gets like the most Hollywood interest. You know, it, it's sort of constantly being picked up and. There's a there's a director I can't talk names or anything, but there's a director you know fairly well known who's who's um, just out of nowhere I don't know how he found it or whatever, but he's he's sort of signed on to try to get it adapted and he's he's they're working on getting funding and all that set up, but it's it's like I I couldn't have orchestrated that <laughs> right right that. <laughs> yeah I what he's hands and I've had you know relatively famous people like read the book and email me and say hey this is really good I, re- I read that book that's a good one that's awesome <laughs> oh is, thanks is there a sequel for it I, I felt like uh, I'm sequ- working on it I'm okay on it. <laughs> I felt like there was a sequel coming but it's been a while so well it's a weird situation where and this is another sort of background publishing thing but I um 
the the contract that that book was on zero world it was a three book contract it was the second contract i got it was basically given to me because my first books were doing really well so they wanted to you know get three more from me under contract right away so i i pitched a bunch of ideas they said let's do zero world next and they're like but we don't know what we want to do for the second and third books on this contract so we'll just leave those to be decided and my hope from the very beginning was that it would be, you know, Zero World and then a sequel to it and then a third book in that series. And right, just like going. you did with the... Uh, yeah, exactly. The Darwin um, Elevator. But then, so I finished Zero World and I turned it in and I'm like, okay, so now what do I work on? And they're like, well, let's go do two more books in the, the Darwin Elevator series. And, you know, we'll... Because Zero World, by, at this point, we keep in mind, it's still a year, year and a half from coming out. Right. When I, finish, when I turn it in. So they don't know what's going to happen, and they don't want to say, yeah, let's definitely do two more of this because uh. it could be a flop or whatever. And so then, um, anyway, my ed- my editor ended up leaving that publisher right after I finished those two Darwin Elevator books. And it sort of just left Zero World in this weird spot where you know, he was sort of my champion for that series, and he was now somewhere else. You, you never see a series move publishers, so it would have to be from that original publisher but they, you know, he wasn't there anymore, and I was working with him on Instinct, and so it just kind of weirdly got like kind of lost in this shuffle and sort of orphaned, and it's sort of at the point now where like I know there's a lot of people who want it, and uh, so because it's kind of funny, well, you'll see in a second, but it has its own fan base, and so weirdly it makes total sense for me to do that on my own rather than going through a publisher. Because there's the built-in, you know, audience already ready to buy it, and it's coming full circle to what we were talking about of authors bringing their own audience. There is this sort of whole debate about, well, if you have your own audience, why, why get a publisher involved? Why not just put it out on, you know, Kindle? You can publish it yourself or whatever, and mm-hmm. and make, you know, ten times more money at least. It's like OnlyFans, but for writing. It kind of is, yeah. Um, <laughs> So you should you do know. an OnlyFans where you like you write fifty <laughs> words a day. Watch me write my fifty words a day. Oh my gosh! And take your shirt off too. You. <laughs> if you give me a tip, I'll take my shirt off while I'm writing. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm, I'm so glad we don't have a G-rated show right now. Boy, that would be that'd be awful. This is uh, TNT after dark, actually. Oh, yeah, it right. is. It is. Like, it's it's what's well, not quite after dark. It's nice. but we're I working like, on it. Yeah. I want to do some more TNT after dark. Yeah. This is actually the first time we've done a night uh, podcast in a long time. Yeah. So. Well, you know, your your story of Zero World is reminding me of um, Ken Follett, who writes, uh, mm. you know, he's famous for thrillers and, and all that sort of stuff. And then he wrote that giant thousand page book, Pillars of the Earth. And yeah, his yeah. publishers did not want to release it because like no one wants to read a thousand page book about the construction of a cathedral. And right. uh, they published it anyway. And it's it's one of his most popular, if not most popular books. And then spawned, I think, what, two more uh, or at least at least one or two more sequels, and then and then I think his whole um, what was that century trilogy that he just did I don't know about ten years ago it was uh, World Without End I guess that sort of mm. goes from like 1900 to 2000 and covers all the major world events there. I, I sort of feel like again it's kind of like that's not what he's famous for, but now people sort of got addicted to his historical fiction thing. And, yeah, uh, there, there is sort of a you can get to a point I think where you're 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 known enough just for the quality of your writing that people will follow you to whatever, whatever it is you do and give it a shot. And I know, you know, there's, there's, I'm trying to think of a good example of my head and nothing's coming to mind, but there, there are authors who can sort of um, move from one genre to another 
and their fans are just like, yeah, cool, whatever. Um, but there are others who sort of famously like, you know, they, they write one thing and they get a big fan base for that. And then they go, wow, I'm getting really bored of this. I'm doing it for 20 years. I want to write something else and just nothing. Like <laughs> No yeah. one buys it, you know, and they've got millions of fans and like, you know, they release this other thing and they're like, nope, don't want that. <laughs> I like that one that Stephen King wrote about uh, the JFK assassination, like November 6th, 1963 yeah, yeah. or what? I think that's what it's mm-hmm. called. And that's not really, it's not really a horror movie, but it does have a little bit of a sort of like, sort of Twilight zone like, you know, there, there's some, there's some weird altered reality stuff that occurs there, but it's, it, it's kind of like a historical sort of slice of life. Yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting read. Well, and I mean, not what my, you'd expect. One of my favorite Stephen King books is Eyes of the Dragon, which is a fantasy novel. Hmm. straight up fantasy novel it doesn't really get i don't know how well it did financially but you know i think he's got the sort of chops that if he wants to do like a full-blown sci-fi spaceship thing go for it man yeah and i would read it but like jim butcher i think was a, a good example of someone who you know he writes the dresden file novels huge fan base he's got like 20 of them now or something and then he did uh, another series uh and it just didn't really catch on and you know, I think that was probably, I can only imagine, I haven't heard him talk about anything, but I can only imagine how it must be kind of disheartening to like, you almost feel sort of trapped in your, Yeah. you know, I guess I got to keep writing that. And I, so I sort of can see why some authors who get really mega famous end up doing these, you know, I think James, has James Patterson one where they, it's like, oh, James eight. Patterson. Yeah. And then the the series or whatever, and then really small below it is the person who actually wrote the book, right? Uh, and it's just yeah. it's become like our Tom Clancy. I think you see that sometimes with now too. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's you know, there's when you're starting out, you're like, oh, I can't imagine ever letting somebody else write a book in my series. But um, you, you, I guess you get that with you, any any uh, a lot of artists get that. Musical you know, artists seem to get that right. They're, uh, they're like, "Hey, I'm going to play a track from my new my new album." Oh, uh, we don't want to like, hear that. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, totally. no, we want to hear yeah. your hits. You know? Yeah, and it's yeah, like, yeah. yeah. I think I saw an Onion thing about <laughs> um, Kansas, like doing a tour, and <laughs> Kansas only plays its new songs. And, and like Where's Wayward Son, man? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Oh, jeez. So, well, Jason. Uh, thank you so much, man, for coming on our, our little humble podcast and, oh, and my pleasure. talking about, uh, writing. And I think we, you know, we, we definitely learned a lot. Jeez Louise. I had a great time. <laughs> well, I did too, guys. It's yeah. It was great to chat with you and, um, I really like your podcast. So it's a pleasure to be a uh, part of it. Thank you very much. Yeah. Instinct. Like Jason, Jason M. Huff. Huff. Yeah. Buy it. That's it. Where do That's we, where me. do we, where do they buy it at, Jason? Where do you buy books? Anywhere books are sold. Anywhere books are sold. All right, great. I Um, like that. Barnes & Noble, um, you know, your local bookstore is my always, my go-to recommendation. Support a local store. Yeah, I Um, saw Mysterious Galaxy in San Diego. They, yep. They, uh, big supporters of yours, I think. And uh, one of the things, especially authors, sort of like myself, who are reasonably successful, but not like household name territory yet. If, If you see it in an airport, I know not a lot of people are traveling right now, but that's sort of like the, you're starting to make it when you spot your book in an airport because ah. they only, they can only have so much room. And uh, so if anybody sees it in an airport, send me a picture and I'll, I'll find something. Good to place to buy it in the airport. Yeah. Or jasonhuff.com. It's a good, it's a good type it of book to read uh, for a, for a flight. I think it's a quick, quick, fast, uh, fun, fun book. Nice. 
Well, thanks a lot, man. I, it's great to see you, and uh, thanks for thanks for doing it, and uh, look forward to talking to you again. Yeah, wish you all yeah. the best with this book. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Appreciate right. it very much. Thanks right. a lot. Thanks, Jason. See you later. Bye. Bye-bye.